Gar and I, as you know, as we sit here together and, and talk about this, we, we understand accountability and we are accountable for what this team did this year. We don't run away from it. We accept it. Uh, that's that's on us. Locked on Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. For me to be here in the NBA organization, such a historic organization that Chicago Bulls, so it's just a dream come true for me. Live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. This is going to be a process. It doesn't, you'll snap your fingers and it all happens at once, but um, that's the plan moving forward. So kick back, relax, and get ready for the best hour of your day. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Jordan Malley along with Matt Peck, live on Dash Radio, DashRadio.com and the Dash Radio app on the Nothing But Net channel. Live on Dash Radio every Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. Follow us on Twitter at Bulls underscore Peck, at Jordan C. Malley and at Locked On Bulls. Like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Locked On Shy Bulls. Subscribe to the show anywhere you find podcasts, iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere else you find podcasts you'll find us make sure to like the lockdown podcast network on facebook and follow them on twitter as well but holy crap matt coming back off that knicks win last night that was a hell of a game by the bulls and a double overtime performance a lowry marketing showcase this this was a whole lot of fun if you if you last night sat down and watched this bulls game you certainly were entertained for the extension of three hours and lowry marketing man like if we want to talk about a couple guys on this bulls team that stepped up last night we first got to start with I I think we got to start with the most obvious one and that's Lowry Markin in in this double overtime win against the Knicks yeah he was huge I mean a career high 33 for Lowry 10 of 22 from the field 8 of 15 from downtown right now leading all rookies in NBA history in average three-point makes per game at 2.4 he did have a rough uh, you know, finish like down the stretch in the fourth quarter in OT. He started missing some shots. I think he was getting a little fatigued. He played 46 minutes in this game, uh, which is a lot for a rookie, you know, halfway through his first NBA full slate 82 game season. We've already kind of seen some slumps from him before, but overall, I mean, 32 also adding 10 boards and assist, two steals and a block. And he, I mean, he clearly got up for this game. I, you know, I think it's interesting that we've kind of started to see a trend of Markin and coming up big and having big games against big time, prime time opponents. You know, this was uh, his second big game going up against um, uh, Porzingis and the Knicks. He also had a monster game going up against Kevin Love and the Cavs. So I think we're we're starting to see that kind of mentality and that kind of personality for marketing as a kid who wants to prove himself on the biggest stages. And when you're talking about Kristaps Porzingis being one of the most talented young players in the NBA right now, one of the most talented Euro players in the NBA, and also the biggest stage in the NBA, which is Madison Square Garden. I mean, marketing for a rookie showed up big time. We're starting to see that as sort of who he is as a player. Yeah, Markkinen also tied the record for most three-pointers by a seven-footer in the NBA. So he tied the record at eight with Dirk Nowitzki back in when Dirk Nowitzki was actually a rookie too. So he drilled, I believe, eight 
three pointers when he was a rookie as well. So uh, a sort of a trend now that we're looking at. And I thought it was funny too. We talked about Denzel Valentine had having a good game right after coming off of knocking him. And I think it's funny as well as what we were talking about marketing yesterday and how you said between his ceiling and his floor, what, where kind of, where's the variable for Lowry marketing. And I thought, you know, he came out and showed that, you know, there is flashes in him of being that potential all-star player coming down the stretch. And so many times last night in last night's game, Lowry Markkinen, especially early on in the game, was challenging Kristaps Porzingis and had zero fear. And I, I thought from that standpoint, not even just on the offensive end, but Lowry Markkinen was playing solid defense against Kristaps Porzingis last night. And so I have to I have to applaud Markkinen and whoever else is pushing Markkinen's confidence and also pushing him to play up against the greatest and play at a high level. Um, for Markkinen to do that, to look the way he has, especially in January, and like you had talked about, 46 minutes for a rookie is a ton. And he was getting beat down last night, like, between Porzingis and a couple other guys in the Knicks, they were getting away with a ton of grabbing, a ton of flopping. And so there was a lot of, uh, there was a ton of physicality in this game last night, but I thought it was a great show out for Markkinen. Yeah, definitely a lot of physicality, but you also saw Markkinen display some of that agility and quickness and athleticism that, you know, spread his game beyond being a pure shooter. Uh, in a, in a night where he tied the NBA record for most three pointers made by a seven footer, I mean that in itself is impressive. But I mean, holy crap! Can we talk for a second about that dunk he had on Enos Cantor? He always has. Enos Cantor, what are you doing? The finisher in New York City. Wow! Oh my goodness! He got a. He got a head of steam up. Welcome to the Larry Show. I mean, Fred Hoiberg said after the game, he nearly, you know, nearly fainted, nearly passed out. I damn near passed out when he jammed and when he dunked that one coming down the train. That was unbelievable. Uh, just to, to see uh, attack and transition, you know, he's shown the ability to rebound and uh, push the ball down the floor and, you know, to rise up and, and do that. Uh, you know, just it was such an exciting play. When he when he saw Markin and do that, because I mean you saw a seven footer there <laughs> put the ball on the floor and show his his like his combination of quickness and speed. I mean, he flew right past his defender and dunked threw that down ferociously over Cantor. I mean, that one play right there displayed so many other attributes of what Markinen has to offer and I mean, wow. Like th- that's just one of those plays where where it kind of takes your breath away and you say like the the Bulls got a stud when they drafted this kid. Yeah, so between him, I want to talk about a couple other guys too in this game that I thought had major impact. So we'll just quickly shoot to Denzel Valentine. Denzel Valentine with another nice night last night. He was 8 for 14 from the field. He shot 50% from 3, 4 for 8 from 3. He had 9 rebounds to go along with his 20 points, 4 assists. He did have 4 turnovers in this game, but he ended up plus 19 
18, and that was the highest plus minus on the Bulls team last night. So Denzel Valentine had a really nice game, stringing together two now back-to-back games where I thought were important and also played pretty decently well. So I don't think that there's any question that when Zach Levine comes back, we answered this yesterday, that Valentine's role is going to diminish a little bit in in terms of minutes played. I think that's going to be something that's going to drop significantly when Zach Levine comes back. But I don't think his importance, especially if he's coming in with that second unit, I think his importance is going to be strong with that second unit again. And if he can continue to shoot consistently, especially with that second unit, and you don't have to plug in guys like Paul Zipser to try and fill in that gap of somebody that can play small forward off the bench and score for you. I think it's going to serve well for Denzel Valentine. It's going to put Fred Hoiberg in a good situation where he can really mix and match with a lot of these lineups, especially like when you're getting in the middle of the game between the third and fourth quarters or in stretches where you need to give guys breaks. Denzel Valentine can come off the bench and be that guy. I'm just hoping that his his shooting will be consistent enough to where it'll turn him into sort of a weapon off that bench. But certainly if Denzel Valentine can can string together a bunch of consistent shooting nights, it'll kind of overshadow his his lack of defense. And I think coming off with that second unit is going to give him a ton of confidence once Levine comes back on Saturday. Yeah, I think Denzel obviously knows his days in the starting lineup are numbered. I mean, Levine's coming back on Saturday. We still don't know. And matter of fact, it sounds, at least from the hints we've heard, that Levine might be coming off the bench at least to start, but he's going to work his way into the starting lineup, and that will probably be the, be the end for Denzel as a starter. But you hope that he takes the confidence of what he's been able to do in some of these strong performances. Um, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I, it seems like a funny comparison to make, and I hate to say it, but like Denzel's the new Nico. You know, like for every good night he has, he follows it up with a stinker. And you you hope that the the shifting that's been going around with Hoiberg's rotation and juggling guys because of either injuries or illness or what have you, that Valentine can at some point this season find the conf, keep the confidence that he's gained in some of these strong performances and become a more consistent piece who knows his role off the bench and feels comfortable and maybe you know he he still might be having to deal with you know a different amount of minutes on any given night you know sharing the floor with different amount, combinations of guys because we've also heard Hoiberg say that he's really excited and intrigued to at least for some some chunks of time uh, on a nightly basis have Levine Dunn and Nwaba share the floor so you know you know Hoiberg's going to mix and match some things once Levine comes back to see what what he likes, what works, what doesn't work, and that'll probably have an impact on Valentine. You just hope he'll be able to roll with the punches as he, as he has tried to do thus far in his NBA career because he's been largely undefined as far as what his role is on this team. I think if you look around the starting lineup from last night's game, everybody had a pretty solid shooting night. With the oh my god, not Chris Dunn. Yeah, with the exception Holy of Chris crap. Dunn. Four, four for 18. If Roof. Four for 18, including a lot of those shots. So it was more specifically, it, it, was, it came down to crunch time. And there was two shots to end it. In, one in regulation, I believe, and one in, in that first overtime where Chris Dunn was trying to take the lead. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't upset with either one of the shots that Chris Dunn had taken, especially the one he had taken in regulation to try to knock off the Knicks. 
I, I think the step back, he had the space to make the shot. He just flat out missed it. It wasn't a great night offensively for Chris Dunn. I'm okay. I'm, I'm totally fine with him missing those shots. I'm I'm more I'm more happy that he he's willing to take those shots and he's got the confidence to be to want to be the guy to close out games late. And we had talked about early in December when the Bulls didn't really have a guy that would be the set in stone offensive score late in games and a guy that can really help a team close out. I'm cool with Chris Dunn trying to to figure out and feel out whether or not he can still he can be that guy, and I, I'm I'm cool with him um, trying to make that opportunity to to close out big games like this. And you know, there's going to be nights where he doesn't knock down those shots. So I'm I'm all right with the shots that Chris Dunn took. It was just a bad offensive night from him, um, but he he still was an important piece for the Bulls to hang on for a double overtime win, 122 to 119. But yeah, it was just kind of one of those cases for Chris Dunn where shots weren't falling for him but luckily the, the rest of the guys in the starting lineup picked him up um, especially guys like Lowry Markin and Denzel Valentine we had talked about Justin Holiday actually shot 50% from the field last night and Robin Lopez had a really nice game um, underneath as well so guys were picking up Chris Dunn when he wasn't making shots last night but were you okay with the, with the shots that Chris Dunn took late in that game last night I'm I mean I don't love all of the mid-range you know I like outside of the restricted area but inside the three-point line Dunn was like one for 12 last night I mean that's that's bad that's ugly you don't want to see that high percentage of number of shots you take in that area of the floor where it is the least efficient kind of scoring you can do and Dunn took a lot of those shots last night so I don't like that uh, to his credit, you talk about him not having fear and having the confidence to take big shots, whether it's the end regulation or first OT. In second OT, when the game was tied, I think 116-116, he did make that fairly difficult, you know, a high degree of difficulty shot. It was kind of like a half baby hook, half floater in the lane that he banked off the glass beautifully and in to put the Bulls ahead, and the Bulls did not relinquish that lead from there on out. So credit to him there. But even as as much as the shot selection for Dunn bothered me last night, look at his box score. Your starting point guard played 46 minutes, took 18 shots, and went to the free throw line zero times. Zero times. You talk about a guy who is the go-to guy to get you a bucket late in a game, late in a close game. Yeah, it's great if you can have a guy who can knock down a shot confidently. You know what's better? putting the ball in the hands of a guy who can go draw a foul and get to the free throw line for two easy points. That was the role that Jimmy Butler played for the Bulls for the past several seasons. Every team needs a guy like that. This Bulls team doesn't have that guy yet. It would be great if Chris Dunn can become that guy, but right now, other than the turnover worry, the biggest element to his game that needs improving is you are a point guard leading this offense, the first unit offense, and you are barely going to the free throw line at all zero free throw attempts in 46 minutes last night that's got to get better yeah one thing I will I will say about this game and the free throw attempts and just the fouls in general is the referees weren't calling a whole lot of fouls especially with a whole lot of contact especially late in this game I looked at Lowry Markkinen who drove to the basket maybe three or four times at the end of regulation he got hammered to the floor two or three times on each of those plays and he was throwing his arms up like where's the foul and and for a lot of times and even the, the TV broadcasters were saying you know that's a whole awful lot of contact for players to be taking underneath and no foul to be being drawn so I, I would say it was kind of a theme over 
over this entire game that the bull not only the bulls but the knicks weren't getting a whole lot of contact they were kind of letting these guys play through it it might just be one of those cases where chris dunn wasn't getting calls but like you said certainly I don't want Chris Dunn taking 12 mid-range shots in a game, especially going one for 12. I'd like to see him drive to the basket and and get, you know, draw the opportunity to shoot free throws. That That's definitely important, and I'll agree with you on that. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be whole, totally bent out of shape just because of the way the game was called, um, especially late in the game and calls that weren't going the Bulls' way. And for anybody that was in the starting lineup or playing in those late minutes, they weren't getting a whole lot of calls in. What I think frustrated me the most about this is on three or four separate incidences, Kristaps Porzingis could have won a a Golden Globe for, you know, best outstanding actor in a leading role because the dude, holy crap, the dude flopped maybe four or five times in this game and the refs were 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 whistle happy they immediately as he flopped to the ground the refs were giving him the call and so I thought it was kind of frustrating from Lowry Markkinen's standpoint especially because I felt like late especially in the overtimes he was getting beat down to the floor and he wasn't getting the calls that maybe Kristaps was getting on flops and it was sort of frustrating from that standpoint but I guess I mean maybe you can point it to star calls did you think that that flop was worse or or not quite as egregious as the Chris Paul flop when they when we played the Rockets earlier oh. this week. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. When Dunn was driving the lane and tried to create a little bit of contact with Chris Paul, and Chris Paul saw that Dunn initiated the contact and like flew both of his arms up in the air and like did a 360 and went flying down and landed on his backside as if he had just been like standing next to a grenade that went off. I mean, Chris Chris Paul has been known to be a flopper. That was pretty, pretty bad, even for him. Speaking of Chris Paul, real fast, did you see his game last night against the Trailblazers and him take that shot at the end? And him and Damian Lillard got into it, and Damian Lillard was pissed that he had taken an open layup with the final seconds. And between him and, like, it's kind of a petty move by Chris Chris Paul to just take the layup after the game was already solidified. Nobody was playing defense, and that was kind of pissed Damian Lillard off. So I guess uh, it, it it sort of looks like they're not going to be making any more State Farm commercials together. Him and Damian Lillard and Chris Paul together, but. Jumping back to this Bulls game real fast, just to kind of recap um, a couple more things I wanted to talk about real fast. So I know this isn't a huge major player and this isn't a huge, it isn't huge, but um, I want to talk about Cristiano Felicio really fast. He only played 10 minutes in this game, but that 10 minute stretch, I don't know if you were paying any attention at all, but it looked like Cristiano Felicio had a little bit of a bump in confidence in himself. He was, he was playing physical. He was sprinting from end to end on the court. He was coming up with rebounds and he had three rebounds, one assist, three points in only 10 minutes. And I just thought from, you know, it's not going to show up in the box score, but just the 10 minutes that Cristiano Felicio was on the floor. I saw a lot, a lot of difference from the lost, lazy, um, unaware Cristiano Felicio that we had seen. And I'm not blowing this out of proportion and saying that, you know, the G League all of a sudden sparked something completely different in Felicio. But I thought it was nice for him to come off the bench, play a small, small 10 minutes and show Fred Hoiberg that, hey, you know what? Maybe there's a little bit more of a bounce in my step and maybe I've turned things around a little bit. And we'll see if he can capitalize over that over the next few weeks and see if he can build off of that momentum. But I just thought watching him in that 10 minute stretch, there was a little bit something different. I couldn't really put a finger on it, but um, it looked like the energy level was high there and maybe that G League stint did give him a little bit of a boost of confidence that he needed coming back to the Bulls. 
Yeah, and I'd say there's probably a good chance that that Freddie said something to Felicio before that game. Uh, Hoiberg was chatting with Chuck Swirsky of you know Bulls TV and Bulls Radio uh, during their shoot around in New York yesterday afternoon, and said, "Yeah, Nico's doubtful for tonight." And your first thought of if Nico's still not going to play in this one, more minutes for Bobby Portis, right? Bobby only played 19 minutes in this game, and Hoiberg said in that interview with Chuck, yeah, you know, we'll probably see Felicio get a little bit more run. I want to see, you know, get him back out there, get him some action. And so he probably got maybe a little bit of a pep talk from Fred before this game, being like, hey, you're going to get into this game, and I want you to be ready. Um, so you mentioned his box score. You know, you said that Denzel at plus 19 was the Bulls' uh, best plus-minus ratio uh, of the night. Felicio plus one <laughs> uh so hey there you go felicio having a net impact a net positive impact on the bulls last night i also as we're mentioning felicio just wanted to mention this hilarious tweet from zach Lowe. i don't know if you saw it this morning zach Lowe, great nba espn writer latest nba dream last night phone was ringing on the other side of my apartment sprinted to it but missed the call which was from Cristiano Felicio, whose number I don't have in real life. He was calling to say that the Bulls had traded him. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think the Bulls are going to be able to find a trade partner for Felicio because uh, that four-year, 32-mil contract is not looking great right now, but pretty hilarious that he is somehow occupying the mind of one Zach Lowe. Real quick, one more player to talk about, too, in this game. David Nwaba. Um Holy crap, David Nwaba. There, there was stints. There's highlights too. We retweet. I retweeted a video um, on our Locked On Bulls account at Locked On Bulls on Twitter of David Nwaba like channeling his inner Jimmy Butler. And for for some of these games and for some of these drives, like specifically in that third quarter, late down in that third quarter when he was matched up against Doug McDermott, Doug McDermott had no shot. There was there was a three minute stretch where David Nwaba I think had made two or three baskets in a row and just took him straight to the basket every single time. And so. You know what? I I don't care what the Bulls have to pay David Nwaba in free agency this season. Coming up, he's going to be a restricted free agent along with Zach Levine. But he he is emerging as a guy that the Bulls must keep. And so if you're talking about flexibility and money to spend, uh, you've got two guys now that you're going to have to spend money on in the offseason. But I I don't care what it takes to retain David Nwaba. But I, I, I want him to be a part of this rebuild because the dude plays phenomenal defense he he's a driver he's a scorer in he's he's tough he's physical he's everything I want off a, a guy off the bench and just to, the grit that he shows and and I, I don't know I, I've I've slowly but surely fallen in love with David Nwaba's game and I think that there's there's a high ceiling for David Nwaba's game as well as we talk about some of these other bulls on this team but what did you think about him last night I mean that what obviously for me what sticks out is you mentioned some of the drives he had the drive where he put two maybe three Knicks defenders in a spin cycle for that insane you know drive spin move uh with a really nice soft touch finish I mean that that right there was one of the greatest individual displays of basketball talent that I have seen from this young Bulls team this season like really impressive and you mentioned yeah he's great on the defensive end he's a high energy guy he's a smart player he makes the right pass he looks to score when the opportunities present themselves but you want to talk about the combination of agility speed and skill in that one play where he put some nicks in the spin cycle my goodness I mean that was impressive all right well we are going to get to our second segment of the day our weekly segment on Thursdays the tankathon check-in and the 
hoop the uh, 2018 draft prospects check-in. But before we do that, I want to tell our Locked On Bulls listeners about my bookie. The NFL playoffs are here, finally. And I want to tell you guys about mybookie.ag, the number one rated online sports book. With your fantasy football season over, what's the way that you can use your sports knowledge to win cash? Duh, betting on my bookie. The sports book that makes it easy to deposit and even easier to cash out your winnings fast. They have odds on everything, live betting and an all new prop builder. You can bet from your desktop, your tablet, or on their world-class mobile site that lets you bet anytime, anywhere. MyBookie offers the fastest no-hassle payouts when you win. Join now, and MyBookie will match your deposit with up to 50% bonus. Just use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA when making your account. Visit MyBookie.ag today and bet on the Internet's favorite sports books. You play, you win, you get paid. Visit mybookie.ag today and get those bets in for divisional NFL playoff games. All right, so just to run down real quick of what the tankathon sort of looks like right now as we sit here on Thursday afternoon. So I'm going to quickly run down the 14 teams that are are worth the lottery, and then we can kind of break down some of the some of the guys, some of the names um, that the Bulls might be looking at to draft. Um, some guys that we haven't talked about recently. So let's run through these these teams so far from worst to best. So Atlanta obviously sitting at 11 and 30. They're number one. The Orlando Magic have made a push in the tankathon. Now they're sitting currently at the second best odds at 12 and 30. Sacramento comes in at 13 and 27, as well as Memphis. So that's three and four. The Lakers pick at 13 and 27 as well would go to Boston at number five. Number six, 15 and 28 sit the Dallas Mavericks and your Chicago Bulls sit at 15 and 27 at the number seven spot. So hanging out right in smack dab in the middle. Brooklyn as well, 15 and 26 at number eight, that pick going to Cleveland. And number nine, the Suns, 16 and 26. Charlotte at 15 and 24 at number 10. Utah at number 11 with 17 and 24 record. And then you drop down to the Knicks at 19 and 22 at the 12. Number 13 and number 14 go as followed. The Los Angeles Clippers at 19 and 21 and the Philadelphia 76ers at number 14 currently at 19 and 19. So the Bulls are kind of smack dab right in the middle, but they're now they've sort of separated themselves, at least for now, a little bit with that losing streak over the last sort of 10 days, uh, losing four out of the last five. The Bulls have kind of pushed themselves more towards the upper echelon of tank tankathon teams rather than what we had talked about during the win streak about may, possibly pushing themselves outside the top 10. Um, but certainly a lot of plays still left to go and a lot of teams kind of hanging around between the, even the number three pick to the number nine pick. So certainly interesting position for the Bulls. But um, who do you got for to review for me today, Matt? Obviously, everybody's always checking in on names like Marvin Bagley and DeAndre. Aiden, more and more people getting excited watching what Trey Young is doing in Oklahoma. He had a a game earlier this week where he had a rough start against Texas Tech, uh, shot the ball very poorly in the first half, but then bounced back and finished with another solid night. I think he had like 27 and nine dimes. So, you know, he continues to climb up 
uh, people's draft charts, as does Mo Bamba of Texas. I wanted to highlight uh, a very good mock draft. It's uh, Ricky O'Donnell's most recent mock draft for SB Nation. We're actually going to try to get Ricky on the show sometime next week to talk to us a bit more extensively about some of these prospects. But with the Bulls currently in that seven spot in the tankathon situation, he has the Bulls at seven taking one Jaron Jackson Jr. of Michigan State. So another Sparty guy that could potentially join the Bulls and Denzel. And look, I mean, I I've, I like this this hypothetical. If the Bulls do end up kind of sitting somewhere in that five to ten range as opposed to one through five, you know, we're still hoping that they can get the tank back on track. But as far as some of those second-tier lottery guys, I think Jaron Jackson would be a great fit for the Bulls because he is another big who could space the floor. And that's essentially what we are looking for in this Fred Hoiberg offense, assuming that the the, the Bulls find somewhere to send Nico Miritich. He could pair fairly well with Markkanen in that front court. He doesn't have quite the same, you know, uh, you know, weight of... like you know stuffing stat sheets the way that uh you know Aiden and Bagley do this season but he is shooting a pretty high clip from downtown 43 and a half percent he's taken nearly three point uh three three pointers a game he's also pretty good protecting the the paints he's uh averaging nearly three blocks actually just over three blocks per game um so I thought uh from from Ricky's perspective an interesting you know, an interesting player that Bulls fans should keep their eye on if, in fact, we do end up picking somewhere in that 5-10 to 10 range is Jaron Jackson from Sparty. Yeah, I also had him on my list today to kind of talk about, and I thought a couple things that, that jumped out to me, too, is that he's a combo between a power forward and a center. He sits at 6'11". The ringer has him at six foot 11, 242 pounds, 18 years old. And so I felt like if the Bulls fell out of the top five, they lost their opportunity to even snag guys like Michael Porter Jr. If he doesn't slide that far, Muhammad Bamba, DeAndre Ayton, some of those top sort of guys at the forward or even at the center position. I think Jaron Jackson Jr. is a solid pick. Um, it, it makes me curious, too, if the Bulls, <clears throat> if the Bulls fall between seven and ten and say that they get a late first round pick for Nico or they get some type of value a couple second round picks for Robin Lopez or something for Justin Holiday in terms of picks do you think that the Bulls would try to move up and move into that top five would they package a potentially late first round pick in order to move up say if they landed between seven and ten what do you think about that I mean, it's an interesting hypothetical. You also wonder if, I mean, obviously it takes two teams to make a trade. And if a team is in that top five with this very highly anticipated 2018 draft class where there's, you know, everybody kind of collectively agrees that there's a pretty big drop off after the top five, maybe the top six. I don't know if a team that's up there is going to be in a situation where they want to trade down. Um also, I don't know if John Paxson and the gang would want to sacrifice having two first-round draft picks, one of which could be still top ten, and another one in the you know the the late teens or the twenties to move up and take one pick on you know on a guy in the top five. I think like there's some skepticism on both sides there as far as player teams that do end up in the top five wanting to trade down, and maybe the Bulls 
with you know this this new rebuild and wanting to uh, you know uh, you know compile as many young talented interesting but you know prospects as possible pass up the opportunity at having two first round picks I, th- I think you know there, there's at least a chance that the Bulls would consider saying all right well we managed to get a late first rounder for Nico we're happy with that and you know we didn't end up being a, a top five top three lottery team as planned but the reason we didn't is because the the pieces we got in the Butler trade to start this rebuild primarily Chris Dunn and Lowry Markkinen thus far, and who knows what we'll see from Levine, we'll find out soon, are better than we thought. And that's the reason that we are not in the top five. So that's a good problem. So, I mean, I, th- I think overall, if I were in their shoes and the Bulls are, you know, say the Bulls have pick six or seven and also have a first rounder for Nico, I don't know if I would trade up into the top five. Yeah, and that's what I wonder how – I think it's all going to depend on what the Bulls scouting and how how they feel projects in the top five in, in terms of players. Like if there's somebody that they absolutely fall in love with and they're projected you know, anywhere between three and five, I, I don't think that they would be able to move up all the way to a top two pick. But in terms of going out and grabbing a guy like – I don't know, in these projections, you've got Marvin Bagley at number three, DeAndre Ayton and Muhammad Bamba at four and five. Um, in terms of of teams that would be willing to trade down, the only one that I could see, the one that's trying to compete right away, would be the Boston Celtics if they get that Lakers pick between, I, I think their pick is pitch, is protected between one through five uh, or two through five. And so I wonder if the Boston Celtics would be interesting in moving down a couple positions. And that would be maybe be having to throw a player in there as well, or maybe an additional pick later on. Um, So yeah, I I think it would be kind of a, it would be a difficult move and you would have to, um, you would have to fall in love with a guy in order to move up a couple positions. But certainly that top five is intriguing. Um, Another player that I had on the board too, besides, Jaron Jackson Jr. was um, Mikal Bridges from Villanova. So they have him currently, the ringer has him projected going to the Cleveland Cavaliers with via that Nets pick at number eight. So he's a small forward. He's a junior, six foot seven, 210 pounds, 21 years of age out of Villanova. And so this is what Kevin O'Connor had to say about Mikael Bridges. Uh, Mikael Bridges was a part-time player as a freshman on Villanova's 2015-16 championship roster. Two years later, he's the leader of the number one ranked Villanova team with title hopes. Bridges developed into an ace three-point shooter and is arguably college basketball's best perimeter defender. With a two-way skill set, Bridges could help any NBA team immediately. Bridges is a safe bet for the Cavs, whether LeBron James stays in Cleveland or not. He's the kind of 3-and-D swing man that currently Cavs would kill for in a potentially LeBron James-less future. He's the kind of player that would serve as a significant building block. We've already seen how Bridges has expanded his game after being pushed into larger roles. So I think between between Bridges and Jaron Jackson Jr. They both play have that sort of similar skill set. Jaron Jackson Jr. playing mostly dominating in the front court, but um, two guys that can play perimeter defense pretty well can be three and D type of future guys. Um, I think that's what the Bulls are looking for too. You know, we we've talked about the uptick in three point shots and three point attempts the Bulls have had over the you know over the last two seasons and then coming this year, which has been a complete dramatic change. I think if you fall out and you you miss. On guys like 
Porter Jr. You miss on Bamba. DeAndre Ayton's already gone. Marvin Bagley, and obviously your top two in Trey Young and Luka Doncic. If you miss on any of those guys, getting a 3 and D guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. or a guy like Mikal Bridges um, can certainly help boost this lineup. And I, I'm curious if the 21-year-old um, being a three-year vet at a winning program like Villanova, we've we've known what the front office um holds players that have had winning success in college basketball we know what they hold, what kind of standard the Bulls hold that to and they love things like that so that's why I'm interested between these two guys alone what do you think about Mikel Bridges yeah he's you know as you mentioned I mean he's you know he's the prototypical three and D wing for the modern NBA um and all teams I mean those are hot commodities for everybody right now so if the Bulls end up picking somewhere seven through ten and he's on the board there I, I wouldn't be opposed to that um and there's and then there's also the other bridges Miles Bridges from Michigan State a guy that a lot of people expected to be uh in in last year's draft but he decided to come back to state for another season um a crazy athlete um with with uh, certainly some some serious NBA potential and then one other name that I would mention uh, you know we we're talking about the bigs we're talking about some some 3 and D wings and we've also mentioned that Trey Young is rocketing up people's draft boards if the Bulls are somewhere 5 through 10 and Colin Sexton is on the board when it's their turn to draft the point guard from Bama I would be very very tempted to take Sexton and I know we're talking about the development of Chris Dunn and what he's been able to do in his first year in Chicago and you know Sexton is not the Steph Curry-esque three-point shooter that Trey Young is looking like right now but he's still a decent three-point shooter 38.8 percent this season his true shooting percentage nearly 60 percent 59 and a half averaging 20 points per game and the thing I love most about him is the thing that I was just knocking Chris Dunn for he is probably the best player in college hoops right now at getting to the line driving driving hard and drawing fouls I mean that is something that is a weakness in Chris Dunn's game Colin Sexton looks like he can and come into the NBA and start doing that right away and it's not a bad thing to have two good point guard on your hands on your roster with the potential to be NBA starters when really in the last couple of seasons the Bulls problem is they have a slew of point guards none of whom are worth a damn so that's another name that I'd be very intrigued by if the Bulls end up somewhere in that five to ten range is Sexton yeah, I agree with you, too, on the Colin Sexton point. And also to, to go along with with a point about Trey Young, too. <clears throat> if the Bulls were in a position to draft either one of those guys at the point guard position and people are worried about, well, what do you do with Chris Dunn then? Is Chris Dunn not your future? Are you going to slide him over? I, I think that's that's a that's a situation you put in Fred Hoiberg's hands and you kind of just figure it out later. If you have the opportunity to take a guy like Trey Young or if some of these other names fall off the board, like Jaron Jackson Jr. You don't you're not able to to grab any of those guys or like we had said Porter Bamba DeAndre Ayton anybody in that top five and you're at a position where you've got to take a guy like Colin Sexton 
I think you take him right away and then you figure out everything else later. Like you had said, Colin Sexton's only 18 years old right now. He's he's a pure, he's a guy that you can develop. He's pure. He, he's he's willing to drive to the basket. He's a scorer. He's a guy that that I, I think you combo with Chris Dunn and you figure out what you're going to do from there. And you just, you, you, you play with the best and you see what you're going to get. And it would bring up competitive level to, I think, Chris Dunn and some of the other guards to kind of step up. So I, I think that would be a good position. Position to, for the Bulls to be in, to be in, and I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily put a whole lot of of um, a weight on whether or not who would take the position. How are you going to um, supplement in two high guards that you've got high praise for? I, I think the Bulls would figure that out eventually. You would just at this point, I would like the Bulls to take uh, best available in terms of best available talent. There, we've already seen what that what how that's worked out for the Bulls so far in the 2017 draft. The best available there being Lowry Markkinen. So, I mean, following that footprint, following that step stone, I, I think that's that's a move that the Bulls should make if any of those forwards or any of those centers fall off the board. Absolutely. I mean, can, can we just fast forward? Can we just fast forward to the 2018 draft? I'm so excited. Yeah, right, right oh, here in the city of oh, Chicago. I'm so excited. I know. <laughs> in Chi-Town. I guess we got to do the draft lottery first. So let's fast forward to that and hope we get ourselves a little bit of that 2008 luck that got us Derrick Rose. Um and then, and then let's fra- fast forward to draft night. Eh, I mean, I know I I hesitate to say that because it actually it, it it is a lot of fun to watch these young bulls play right now and the strides that they're making. But the more I I watch some of these kids play that are coming into this you know this year's draft, it's just it's exciting. So that's gonna about do it here on Locked On Bulls. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Locked On Bulls at Jordan C Malley and at Bulls underscore Peck. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked On Bulls. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, and anywhere you find podcasts, you'll find us. Make sure to follow the Locked On Podcast Network on Facebook and Twitter as well. Live on Dash Radio, dashradio.com every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. Live on Dash Radio, dashradio.com in the Dash Radio app on the Nothing But Net channel. We'll be back tomorrow with a brand new episode. We're trying to dive into some of these Nico rumors a little bit more. Maybe we'll get um, a little bit more information on some other teams that might be involved as well as sort of a recap or a review, a preview of what to come for Zach Levine's return on Saturday. A whole lot more from Locked On Bulls in tomorrow's episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode today. Remember to follow us, subscribe to us, give us a five-star review on anywhere you like listening to podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. We'd love that from you. You give us a review. Follow us on social media as well. But for Jordan and Matt, we are out. Have a great night. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com, part of FanRag Sports.